There are clubs who seem to just wing it, who lurch from bad decision to bad decision, from needless risk to needless risk. And they're not all called Manchester United. There are also clubs like Brighton, who have the right infrastructure, the right recruitment, and as soon as they lose a coach, they have a list of suitable candidates ready to go. Graham Potter went, Roberto De Zerbi came in, and at Anfield, they barely missed a beat. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. We've made the right recruiting decisions as well, putting together an excellent tipping team for you. Mark O'Hare's been crunching the numbers so you don't have to. Mark, we saw that three-all draw between Liverpool and Brighton at Anfield. Brighton led 2-0 early on in that one. Leandro Trossa got a hat-trick. We've already seen a few little bits of the Deserbi blueprint. I think especially with the equalising goal that made it 3-3 for Brighton, kind of drawing Liverpool towards them and playing through the press. That's how Deserbi likes to operate. This weekend, they're up against Spurs. Brighton, slight outsiders at 2.86 with Tottenham 2.7. What do you make of that? Yeah, I've no major issue with Tottenham being favourites here. Um I mean, that's that's just what the market suggests. And you've got to sort of believe in the market in that sense. But I did probably expect the two to be a little bit closer in terms of pricing. So we might have seen an each or two of two, 275, really. And I think that probably would have been a fairer reflection of, of what we've seen so far this season rather than anything longer term. Um, Brighton, of course, gave a great account of themselves at Anfield, as you say. They've been well rested after a full week and had a full week now on the training pitch with uh, De Zerbi as well to try and get his ideals across. Uh, and they're a team that has ranked fourth on expected points in the Premier League this season. So, you know, their lofty position, they are fourth in terms of points earned. It's no fluke at the minute. So, um, and you could say this is a good time to be playing Spurs too, um, off the back of a a very disappointing North London derby defeat and performance. Then, obviously, a goalless game at Frankfurt midweek. So, two relatively tough, two relatively energy-sapping emotional matches this week. And, and Antonio Conte has not been resting and rotating his squad a lot this season. It's very much been a kind of rinse and repeat job for the most part. Um, so, they're a kind of team who I'd be looking at potentially towards the World Cup now, who might be a little bit fatigued if he doesn't start making a few more uh, changes and also their road re- road record this season has not been good either. They've won once away from home. That was being at Nottingham Forest across all comps. So I can see why people might want to be pro Brighton in this game. Absolutely. Um, the reason I'm not going to be is purely down to just very early days in the Deserbi era. I want to see it settle down first before I kind of get involved. Really, it's just kind of a rule of thumb I tend to take when there has been a managerial change. I've eulogised about his coaching ability during his, his Sassuolo days for plenty of plenty of matches, plenty of shows, for example. Um, I'm interested to see the evolution at Brighton. I do think they'll be more risky in possession. Graham Potter, much more of a controlled coach, but Deserbi, brave on the ball, take risks, be adventurous, overload the flanks. It's kind of how he tends to approach games. And that's the complete opposite, really, to Antonio Conte. So it presents a fascinating subplot to this game. And one I possibly suggest might actually suit Tottenham. If Brighton do sort of take a proactive approach here, it could play into Spurs' hands in terms of transitions and counter-attacks. Um, so that's another point. Uh, and the other point, really, is just Brighton, whilst they've started pretty well at home in the Premier League this season, their long-term home record in terms of getting victories 
isn't great. 11 wins and 41 at the Amex in the Premier League since the start of 21-22. So a couple of reasons why I'm not going to get involved, even though I do think the Brighton draw no bet and Brighton plus a quarter are potential options to take here. Instead, I want to go down the goals route. We saw at Anfield what Brighton can be like under Deserby. It's going to be pretty fun. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be proactive. And uh, I just think, as I say, it could be a good opportunity for Spurs to um, actually hit them in transitions, hit them in, in counterattacks. I'd back that front line of Tottenham to score against any team on the planet on any day. I know they failed to in midweek, but I did think there was some interesting or decent moments for them in midweek at Frankfurt, which didn't come off. Um, and ultimately, both teams' scorers already banked in six of their eight Premier League games this season. So um, I think both teams scoring is, is the way to play this for me. It's around 1.76 and I think that's a, a very fair price uh, for a team, a home team I expect to to come forward uh, and an away team who should really relish those extra spaces as well. Trader and tipster Emmett O'Keefe back in the starting side. Emmett, as Mark has alluded to there, we've seen Spurs struggle a bit on the road, especially struggle to score goals. It's been a bad week for them really. This could go one or two ways, couldn't it? I think Mark's right. If Brighton are really proactive, Spurs will have a chance to counter-attack. But if Brighton kind of try and draw Spurs in, as they tend to do under Dezerbi, and Spurs just go, no, we're not going to do that, it could get quite dull, maybe. It'd be really interesting to see how this turns out. Absolutely. I think it's kind of a... The thing I would say about Tottenham, though, is I don't think, again... Say this has been a bad week, but I think it's one in terms of the process that their performance level. I don't think it has been that bad. I think the North London derby was a very close game, where they were really opening up Arsenal on the counter attack in moments, and like it was a, a bad mistake from Hugo Lloris the second goal, and the game was one on very much up for grabs, and then like kind of a, a really silly red card which should have took the game out of reach. So again, to me, I wouldn't really downgrade them in terms of how it rates Spurs based based on that. And then again, like they really they badly outplayed Andre Frankfurt during the week just. Just uh, couldn't find the nets. And they have 17 points to make gains. Performances haven't been perfect. But I still think this Tottenham team will finish third or fourth this season. And, and uh, that's not, I, I'm not as, I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't be too downcast. They still have, in my opinion, the, the uh, at worst, the third best manager in the Premier League. And I still back with back Spurs over the long term to come good. Whereas with Brighton, I, this still to me is a seventh or eighth place looking squad. I, I think they're, I think they're, we're seeing them at their peak at the moment. And despite last week's really good performance at Liverpool, I don't. It's, it's by no means guaranteed that Deserby can kind of continue on the great work that Potter did. Like it's still a team with Danny Welbeck as their lone striker. It's still a team I think. Well, I, th I think they, their ceiling, I would say, is probably is probably sixth place. And, and I just think we're probably getting a little bit of an inflated price on Spurs, given given that I think even with Potter there, I think probably Brighton were due due, due to regress. And if you can get Spurs, to me. A, at kind of close to close to ten to eleven draw no bet, that looks fair to me as market line as well. Just the, the, the other angle is just the nature of the game. If if but while Deserby will maybe try and draw Spurs on, I think Brighton will be more proactive than a lot of the team Spurs play, where it's kind of a real grind and it's kind of and it's kind of and, and Spurs have to kind of have to force the game. I think I still think Brighton will attack Spurs. Spurs um, playing at home, I think they will give Tottenham Tottenham opportunities in the counter attack, and they should hopefully have. Dejan Kulusevski back at least off the bench and he's definitely been a huge mess for them. Yeah, he's a huge player for them, isn't he? Because he's something a bit different, Emmett, to what they've already got, isn't he? And he's kind of the perfect Conte player, really, because he's willing to absorb what the coach wants to give him in terms of tactical input, but he's got that work rate as well. Absolutely. And I think as well, 
kind of when he doesn't play the creative burden in, in the forward line is really forced on Harry Kane. Whereas when I think I think Kane can be more unpredictable in his runs when Kulusevski plays because he knows Kulusevski will Kulusevski will find him with three with, with kind of through balls. Whereas when Kulusevski doesn't play, Richarlison and Son are real kind of finisher types who are looking to run in behind. So Kane is forced to be the number ten like throughout the game. Whereas I think he can he can he can, he can play with more more variation with Kulusevski there. Our resident mathematical magician Mark Stinchcom is here. Stinch. Let's talk about Deserbi's predecessor, Graham Potter, because he's unbeaten as Chelsea boss in three games. The Blues beat Milan 3-0 in midweek, and they're up against Wolves this weekend. Wolves have sacked Bruno Lage. There's uh, widespread talk that they're going to appoint Hulen Lopetegui as their new coach. So what do we make of this Chelsea against Wolves? I don't know where the goals for Wolves are going to come from, to be honest. I think that's the the main issue here. And then so far, I think Potter's done done a very good job in what was kind of a, a testing start, I would say. I don't think RB Salzburg, Crystal Palace away and AC Milan is is the easiest of starts. And two wins and a draw, but the the performances have been have been good in my mind. You look at the the basic kind of raw shot data. Chelsea have had 40 shots while they while they've allowed just 11. And you look at the expected goal differential, and it's it's above three. So Chelsea are creating chances and and limiting the opposition. So so far so good, I would say. And and um, you know not easy, not the easiest um, starts in terms of the squad that he's taken over. You got a lot of um, new players there both defensively and offensively so it's kind of trying to fit them all in and and you know the way the the modern day football fan requires you to get off to a a good start as well so yeah I think he's done he's done well so far and it kind of reflected in their odds there they're four to eleven to win here and yeah as I say I don't know where these Wolves goals are going to come from they've managed just three in the eight games so far Jimenez, Kalajic and Hoang are all, all likely out meaning it's it's either Goncalo Guedes who hasn't scored in his last 17 club games or an unfit Diego Costa who's played 32 minutes in 10 months so yeah I'm not sure where the Wolves goals are going to come from but I don't expect Chelsea to to blow to blow them away you know we actually know Wolves are, are good defensively to be fair um, considered just nine goals in in their eight games the third best defense in the league so it's clearly offense that that Wolves struggle for and we, and we know that from long term with Wolves to be honest um, but ultimately Wolves have failed to win 14 of the last 15 Premier League games so it's I think it's got to be a pro Chelsea bet and I just thought Chelsea to win another three and a half goals at 10 to 11 looked the, the standout play here I think it's a very nice boost from from four to 11 and, and I you know long term Wolves aren't generally involved in in high scoring games and I'm not sure who's in charge for all this Saturday we might even see uh, an appointment made in time but I wouldn't expect the style to shift immediately yeah I think it's expected to be some of the existing coaches that are already there I think even if they did get Lopetegui and it would be a surprise if he was in before this game Emmett Wolves made some bold decisions in terms of getting rid of the likes of Connor Cody Willy Bolly they moved some of those kind of Nuno loyalists out if you like but it never really happened for Bruno Large, and it felt like it was on the slide towards the end of last season. It's a bit of a pattern for Large now. It's exactly what happened at Benfica. Had a brilliant first season, won the league, and then it all went horribly, horribly wrong. It does seem like the old football cliche, he lost the dressing room. Definitely. Just from reading the 
athletic piece on Rogan. Really. It was kind of players really had issue and kind of tuned him out towards the end of last season. It's kind of maybe probably Wolves possibly kind of it's probably not the greatest strategy, kind of letting someone like Connor Cody go. I don't think he's a world class player, but I think like letting him go based off kind of kind of the opinion of your new manager of a manager the players have kind of tuned out isn't a great process. And now you're left like whoever Wolves get in, I think there's a decent chance they probably want Connor Cody, especially given the like Wolves Wolves the weekend played Ruben um, Ruben Neves and Johnny as part of back three as their three centre halves this weekend, like with Nathan Collins suspended. Max Kleiman is their only is their only fully fit centre half. Um, Ruben, ne- Ruben Neves is suspended as uh, Pedro Neto's absent with injury. Um, Mark's already outlined the issues they have up front. Like I, the team that Wolves, the team that Chelsea will face on, on, on Saturday is a championship level side. And I, I think he's, has, 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 has to be a pro Chelsea bet here. Um, I was leaning between Chelsea to win to nil or Chelsea and minus one handicap at around 11 to 10. But I'll, I'll, I'll just lean towards the handicap because I, I, I just think. The gap in talent is is too great here. I think Neves Neves is, Neves is clearly Wolves' best player, and I, I think I, I can only see a really, a really comfortable Chelsea winner. Yeah, it looks as though Everton are going to wrap up a permanent deal uh, for Connor Cody for not very much money as well, which is really quite extraordinary. And as Emmett says, it's really quite a bad mistake when you look at it. Uh, this football season, you can get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus, see gambleaware.com. Org. One of the biggest games in the European calendar is De Classica, Borussia Dortmund against Bayern Munich. They are locked together on points after an inconsistent start to the season. Some crazy person has allowed me to commentate at the stadium on uh, Saturday, so I'll be sneaking in there. Uh, Mark, I thought both looked great in their Champions League games in midweek. Pulzenia were awful, so we can't really judge too much um, on Bayern on that basis, but I thought they were also very good against Leverkusen in the game before that. And the prices that really stand out to me here are in the to-score market on the Bayern side of things. Leroy Zane's 3.2, Jamal Musiala 3.4. Now, Musiala has already got seven goals in all competitions. He's been absolutely outstanding for Bayern this season. Zane looks really up for this. Looks as if he's been challenged by Julian Nagelsmann to go up a level. I think the World Cup not being far away hasn't done him any harm either. I think that's given him extra motivation so I was really surprised to see those those prices so chunky but from your point of view Mark buying around about 1.7 1.72 here is that a bit short or is that about right I think it's about right if anything um I think they've come through their their dip in form where there's you know talk of crisis and even Nagelsmann's future being discussed in in the German media which seemed a bit premature but um Perhaps it was just a bit of uh, variance going back in their favour because they did pile on the shots and the XG in, in a lot of those games which they failed to get victories in. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, they come back from the international break, demolish Leverkusen and then just monster pills in a midweek and nine goals in two games now. Um, you know, perfect really for a, a build-up going into the Classica. And um, they tend to get the better of Dortmund in these fixtures. And I suggest that uh, there's probably been a more occasions really when Dortmund have come into this game in, in better health really and Bayern have still gone to Dortmund to won each of the last three trips uh, to BBV and also I think it's eight successive wins in head-to-head across 
all competitions and venues as well, which kind of goes to show they do tend to rule the roost when it comes to the matches that matter. And it's something they did very successfully last year as well. They might have had a few hiccups along the way against bottom half teams. But when it came to the, the big matches, the big tests domestically, uh, they just dominated the opposition. And I expect them to do something similar. In fairness, um, I was looking at Bayern to win alongside over one and a half goals, which boosted the price up to above 1.8, effectively just ruling out the 1-0 away victory. Um, the last six of those wins uh, they've had over Dortmund have featured at least three goals, let alone two. And um, yeah, it's just not one of those kind of matches where you'd want to be opposing goals. Uh, you mentioned some goal scorers there. There's plenty of candidates on both sides, really. And the, the goal line is set at three and a half. So just to require two and a buy and win to me feels like it's a, it's a nice option, really. Um, yeah, Dortmund, uh, they've lost three times already in the Bundesliga. At times you feel like they're making progress and then they sort of have these kamikaze moments as they did against Köln last weekend where things just unravel. And you mentioned Bayern had a bit of an easy sort of midweek. Well, uh, Dortmund haven't in terms of travel, having to go to Seville, very hot on, on Wednesday night in Seville too. But the opposition weren't up to much either. So they went there without Royce, Hummels and Reiner. I know Hummels isn't exactly a, a first choice starter these days and, and Reiner's had his issues. But Anthony Modeste's move hasn't really worked out. I know he's, he's now his starting berth is under threat but they've conceded three goals or more on three occasions already in their first Bundesliga matches so far this season uh, I know they put in a really good shift against Manchester City but um, ultimately they, they fell short and uh, I just think Bayern in terms of having a rest advantage possibly an opposition advantage as well playing Pilsen at home and having uh, Kimmich and Muller probably back in the fold after coronavirus as well um, you know to me it all sort of lines up to be to, to be an away win and quite a comfortable one too in a high scoring game I can't really understand still why they went for Anthony Modeste when they had Yusufa Mukoko in the building ready to go. And he's looked far more dynamic, far more dangerous. Uh, I think he is a better fit for the kind of football they want to play. So that was a very strange move in the end. Stinch, what do you make of this one? You've looked beyond some of the kind of main markets, haven't you? Yeah, Mark covered it quite well. I kind of build in on what you said, really, Kev. I was looking at the player markets and both the players you mentioned were, were of interest, but I actually decided to plump for, for a bigger bigger prize. But it is, the I feel like, the man of the moment in Musiala. You can get him at 7-2 to, to register an assist. Now, he's the top assist maker for Bayern this season with six already. You've got Thomas Muller and Kimmich both on four, yet Muller's 5-6 to six and Kimmich is 23-10. to 10. Yet we've got Musiala at seven to two, so there's a huge gulf there in terms of prices, and I feel like he's the he's the one to get with. I mean, he's he's been playing in the hole, he's played through the middle as a striker, he's played on the left, he's got this tactical flexibility, and it is kind of the almost the the evolution post Lewandowski of of the Nagelsmann team, yeah, with all these completely. floating pieces uh, moving around. Um, and he's created the most open play chances for Bayern Munich so far this season with 23 already. Um, Bayern a price at just 4-11 to 11 to score two more more goals. So I think there'll be plenty of chances for, for this to land. As always, I would just make sure that he uh, he begins the game. But yeah, 7-2 to two when you... When you've got serial assist makers in Muller and Kimmich, a lot shorter prices. Yeah, Musiala has, has taken much more of a lead this season. So, yeah, really like really like that bet. But you could you know you could combine it with him to score as well, score an assist um, for you know for a double figure price. I just think anything pro Musiala while he's priced up like this um, is is a great bet. And yeah, maybe in a, a few weeks when we discuss the World Cup, we might find something very pro Musiala for for Germany. Yeah, I would fully agree with that. I think he's been 
their best player, I think, so far. And I think you look at their attack. I was on the commentary team against Pilsenia. I don't know Pilsenia were terrible. They really were. But you look at the attack, it's like a magic eye picture. You're fascinated because Mane will pop up on the left. Then he'll pop up in the half space. Then he'll pop up somewhere else. Zane is doing exactly the same thing. They'll have Mane go right out to the touchline and Davies make an underlapping run down that kind of inside left channel. It's so difficult for teams to track it. And I'll be fascinated to see firsthand on Saturday just how Dortmund try and disrupt that Bayern attack. Uh, massive game coming up, by the way, on Sunday. Arsenal against Liverpool. We're going to have a full preview of that in our Sunday show. And it's worth bearing in mind that you can get a £5 free bet by staking a £5 bet builder on Arsenal against Liverpool. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.com. Org to Spain. Emmett has a tip for us from Sevilla against Athletic Club. Uh, Sevilla have booted Julen Lopetegui. Jorge Sampaoli back at Sevilla for a second spell. How's this one going to go, Emmett? Yeah, it was kind of one of these ones where I was definitely more confident if, uh, if Sevilla, Sevilla had held on, held on to um, Lopetegui. But I'm kind of I'm, I'm very I'm keen to get with Bilbao, not 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 just against Sevilla. I think since Ernesto Valverde has, has uh, returned, has returned as manager, we've, we've seen a notable improvement in their in their performance. Uh, Bilbao were third in expected goal difference uh, this season, and I think have looked and as I think as most listeners are aware, kind of um, Athletic Bilbao can only sign players from the Basque region, so this isn't this isn't like other clubs where the manager or the sporting director can make can, can make huge changes to kind of try and get an improved performance. The, the kind of being the Atletico Bilbao manager is a real test of your actual management skills and can you get the most out of the players that are available to you. They did have an Andrew Herrera return in the summer. Other than that, this this, this was a very similar side that, that kind of finished eighth last season. I think if you look back at Valverde's time with Barcelona and kind of what followed, I think the job he did there was quite underrated. Winning a couple of league titles. Completely they were, agree. Yeah, they were, yeah. Nearly, they were nearly unbeaten throughout the season up until the, the penultimate match. And kind of history would judge his tenure, tenure a lot more fonder if it weren't for those kind of two big collapses against uh, Rome and Liverpool. I think those those kind of performances were to do more with the composition of the squad, with kind of a real lack kind of youthful uh, vibrancy in both midfield and defence, which meant they had to kind of really sit back and were like vulnerable to these kind of really energetic, high pressing teams. I think Valverde is a very good manager, and Bavaria clearly a team on the up and are kind of a Champions League contender this season, and even if it's Sam Pauli coming in, I think it'll it'll take it'll take a bit of time for him to improve. Uh, Sevilla side, we're seventeenth in uh, in expected in, in, in expect goal expected goal difference this season. So anything of around around two point five on Bilbao uh, seems a fair bet to me. Yeah, I completely agree about Valverde. It was brain dead to get rid of him, and they took a massive step back after that. And it's only now with Xavi that they've really managed to stabilise, but it was so stupid. Getting rid of a, a manager who'd done really, really well. Yes, they collapsed in the Champions League a couple of times, but the egos there are so brittle that they just couldn't deal with the shame of that and actually look past the fact that they had a perfectly good coach. But there we go, rant over. Uh, back to the Premier League. Stinch, you want to have a look at Bournemouth against Leicester? Yeah, a bit of a, another relegation six-pointer, really, for, for both sides. Leicester, obviously, off the back of that 4-0 victory over Forest, which I think most people and fans will expect them to... That will kick-start the season. I think Rodgers has done quite well to survive um, the, the sack race in that sense. Um, 
you know, spoken out quite a lot about the lack of activity and the performances of the pitch, even with a fully fit squad particularly defensively certainly haven't maybe warranted him getting this additional time so very intriguing to to see that uh he's still going to continue in the job and i just i just think i know bournemouth aren't aren't fantastic but i just think it's now leicester have got all their players back and they've got no european distraction just going to go back to the the bank of of backing overs in leicester games you can get over two and a half goals around about 1.91 just it it just seems it just seems too big to ignore to be honest. I mean, you look at Leicester's uh, matches, and it's no surprise that the majority have over two and a half goals. Fifteen of the last twenty, seventy five percent, and then away from home, eighteen of the last twenty five, which is seventy two percent. You know, and we're talking about odds closer to fifty percent. As I mentioned, Bournemouth aren't fantastic. Failed to score in the last three home games, and it's just six goals in eight overall and it's, it's no wonder when they're amassing just 6.4 shots per game which is obviously the lowest in the division put that number into context the next most is Fulham with with 10.5 but I think the beauty and I mentioned a few times last season beauty of back in overs in Leicester's games is they're capable of covering in the line by themselves obviously in this instance I'm thinking offensively but it's still possible they can chuck in a wobbly and you know lose 3-0 oh, yes. they actually <laughs> They actually chucked in four goals last time they visited Bournemouth and that was when Bournemouth got relegated. So it's definitely not beyond them. Um, you know, they're not not great defensively, as we've mentioned. They've already conceded 22 goals in eight games. And away from home, it's just one clean sheet in the last 30 away matches. So in my mind, like I think their fans probably, you know, they, go, they could probably go into away games knowing they're almost one goal behind to start with. So, yeah, you, you've got, you know, the fantastic array of talent going forward. Vardy, Barnes, Iheanacho, Daka, Iose Perez. And, yeah, how how James Madison isn't in the England squad is, is obviously is obviously hard to hard to understand. I think he's got Would the... he play, though? Like, the, the, I'm really interested in this Madison thing because I kind of feel that England fans, because... Because of the way Southgate plays, and I get it because it's been largely successful, got to a final, got to a semi-final, so I'm, I'm, I'm not against that, that's fine. But I think because of that, it was like Grealish over the Euros, it was like his legend kind of grew with every game that he didn't play, and it was like, oh, Jack Grealish is going to change everything. And I, I feel like Madison is kind of, he's playing brilliantly, don't get me wrong, but he's kind of stepped into that that void that Grealish left when he actually started getting into the team and into the squad. I I think even if he took him, he's not going to play him, is he really? I'm not advocating James Madison as being, you know, a world beater or first choice 11, but in a 26 man squad in a sport that relies heavily on very, very fine margins in, in tournament football where variance is, is huge. I think it's a fantastic option to be bringing off the bench with maybe 15 minutes to go with your, if you're chasing a game. His set-piece execution is is fantastic. Um, he's kind of a... I'd say he's, he's a next level to, to Ward-Prowse. Obviously, Ward-Prowse occupies a deeper role um, and he's kind of lauded for his free-kick-taking ability But I think and, and corners. But I think Madison does offer you a little bit more... Um, from open play as well and obviously he would play further forward yeah I wouldn't be I wouldn't be taking him in terms of starting a game but I think you've just got to maximize your margins in tournament football as much as possible you've got 26 players 
um, to take. You've got five substitutes available to you. I assume it will be six if the game was to go into extra time or whatever. The likes of, of Madison, Kieran Trippier, these players need to be... Trent Alexander-Arnold, maybe if if Kyle Walker doesn't go, I wouldn't be advocating taking, you know, 15 right backs. Um, but you, you need to maximise your, your margins as much as possible in, in tournament football. And I feel like, yeah, as I say, the likes of Trippier, Madison, you know, you bring them on or I would, to be fair, I would be starting Kieran Trippier. You know, he's won La Liga's, um, his, his defensive attributes. And I don't think I've talked about enough. He's, you know, he's trained under Diego Simeone for, for two seasons. Who was and, desperate um, to keep him, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm no, not surprised at all. You know, I think Kieran Trippier is probably the model professional. You know, he does exactly what the coach asks of him, and he's he's a fantastic asset both forward and back. So yeah, I just think for for England especially, they don't play proactive football, so they are reliant heavily on set pieces. We saw them at the 2018 World Cup, the amount of goals they scored from from set pieces. So I just think you need to maximise that potential, and somebody like James Madison would would give you more, I think, than somebody like uh, a Mason mount that maybe just does a lot of running around it'll be interesting to see uh, who he eventually goes with let's drop into the EFL then Mark you've picked out Peterborough against Burton you glamour push you <laughs> um, I talked about Peterborough early in the season I think the game got postponed um, and a similar angle for the game as well so it's Peterborough to win and over one and a half goals against Burton um, Peterborough at London Road four wins from five so far this season scoring 12 goals Peterborough against the bottom half so far this season. Five wins from five, scoring at least three goals on each occasion. Um, we talk about Arsenal being dominant at home against bottom half teams. Well, you can say the same about Posh in the third tier. Uh, and they're coming up against a, a second from bottom Burton in this game. Uh, a Burton team who possessed the worst defence in the division. Um, so in simple terms, you've got the league's best attack against the league's worst defence. Um, Burton have conceded at least twice in 9 of 12. Uh, the underlying figures aren't quite as bad as the actual goals against Colin. But regardless, they're coming up against a Posh team who generate the highest expected goals figure in League One. And they've recently switched the system to, to 4-3-3 and they've just got too much firepower and forward ability really to for, for teams going to, to Peterborough. Um, Johnson Clark-Harris, the obvious one. Then you've got Jack Marriott, Ricky J. Jones, Kwame Poku. Um, so many options really, so much ability. Uh, they've scored three goals uh, in back-to-back games, were much, much more convincing than the 3-2 suggested at MK, MK Dons last weekend. In their last home game, they dominated a Port Vale team 3-0 here and Port Vale are um, sort of a much more solid and stable operator in the bottom half compared to Burton who are just a little bit loose at the minute and and pretty porous as those figures suggest so I expect Posh to get the job done uh, and score at least twice on the route to victory. Sassuolo always good for an entertaining clash. Uh, Emmett they've got a massive game against Inter. Uh, I thought Inter stole a win against Barcelona in midweek. I mean how that penalty for handball wasn't given against Denzel Dumfries I will genuinely never know um I thought Barca played pretty well but it's a massive win for Simone Inzaghi uh, after he went full Mourinho the other week and telling us uh, how he how good he is uh, how do you see this one turning out yeah like yourself it's kind of I I, I wouldn't really I wouldn't really give it inter much credit at all for, for, 
for that win and just watching that watching that game live it really felt like because throughout the game Xavi was kind of berating the fourth official and the referee and it felt a little bit like they may return it were trying to get him back get him back at the end it did because it was again it was, it was it was an extreme extremely strange decision not to not to get the penalty against against Dumfries and just and just given just but if you take that game out of it Inter have lost four of their last six matches in Serie A they're without Romelu Lukaku and this team simply does not look like the same team the, that could have that uh, they were unfortunate not to not to take take the lead title in Serie A on the expected goal stats these the, 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 these teams aren't aren't actually that far apart. Uh, Sassuolo ha- ha- have already held AC Milan to a nil all draw at home this season. I just think Inter are too short here at, at around one point eight. I'd back Sassuolo winner draw double chance at anything even money or better. And I think I think maybe if uh, if Sassuolo were to get the win, it might be Inzaghi potentially could be Inzaghi's last game in charge, just despite the win over Barcelona during the week. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so convincing and so straightforward that even Calamity Chancellor Quasi Quarting couldn't mess up the numbers. Uh, we landed the treble at 5-1 to one last weekend. How it works is each of the guys come up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and lovely traders like Emmett here wrap them up for us in a boosted treble. I am going to start with Mark O'Hare. Sure, uh, I'm going to take over two and a half goals when Montpellier host Monaco on Sunday in Ligue 1 uh, for all the reasons which will be explained on Sunday's show. Oh, there's a little tease for you, isn't it? You're like, I, w- I want to know more about Montpellier Monaco, but I haven't got it here. Well, you have to wait until the Sunday show. Uh, Stinch, what about you? Uh, I think the Premier League looks quite tricky this weekend, so I'm being a bit boring I probably would say and taking Chelsea at 4-11 to for the reasons we discussed earlier. Nothing wrong with being boring as long as it's right. And Emmett, take us home. Yeah, I'll uh, similar to Mark. Well, you get you get the explanation later. But I, I like uh, I West Ham or the closest thing to to back with the Premier League this weekend. So I'll go for them home to follow. I love this teasing ahead to the Sunday show. There are people on tenterhooks just ready uh, for the next show. That's all we have time for this edition uh, of Football Only Better. Please do remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. Loads of other shows, including NFL Only Better, ahead of the Green Bay Packers, are finally coming to London. Uh, we've got a couple of racing shows as well, Wade In Podcast and Racing Only Better. From Mark, from Emmett, from Stinch and from me, it's goodbye for now.